Welcome to Church Unscripted. If you call Brookside home, then please subscribe or uh, hit the notification bell below or like or maybe comment during Church Unscripted so we can respond to you if there's something that comes up in your mind after we have this discussion. I'm excited that Pastor Eric and Pastor David are here with us today. Um, And we've been in a series called Worthless. And this last Sunday, can you kind of, maybe if you haven't heard the message yet, Eric, can you kind of give us a kind of a summary of the message? Uh, don't preach a sermon, okay? We've already heard that, so like <laughs> that, that's hard to do, especially when you give me a microphone like this. But uh, no, that, that's a good idea. So we're wrapping up this series, um, and what we heard this weekend probably should not have been so much of a surprise to those who have been a part of the series as a whole. Uh, similar kind of themes, but it really did, I believe, put something of a bow on the end of the message or the end of the series, and it was that Jesus' opponents were working hard to convince Jesus he was not a big deal. And all the claims that Jesus made about himself being the bread of life, the light of the world, the great I am, God himself, those are massive claims. And they go beyond what they've observed in Jesus. And that is his ability to do miracles and um, teach powerfully and have a great following. Uh, To make those kind of claims uh, is, is really too great of a claim for really anybody. And so they were trying to convince Jesus he wasn't a big deal, which is what we believe that our enemy tries to do for us. He tries to convince us that we're not a big deal. And if he can convince us of that, even though we might be saved, we, we might say it's better for me and for everybody else to sit on the sidelines. So the challenge was how do we overcome this feeling or, or perhaps whatever accusation is trying to convince us that we're no big deal for the kingdom of God. And therefore we're gonna let the bigger players, the more impressive players who actually matter to the kingdom um, do the heavy lifting. And, and that's yeah. what I think we need to protect ourselves on. Mm-hmm. So who would be some of those players? I would say- That's, I'm just know, saying. Like, right. Well, I, I think if you're one of those big players, you probably don't know it. If you think you do know it, then you probably have something of an arrogance that is not healthy uh, because the kingdom mindset, the kingdom heart is, is humble in nature. And what that means is that you don't think of yourself as more important than you actually are because you see Jesus more than yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to be a big, um, and, and Satan's never gonna allow you to actually realize how important you are. And so no matter who you are, even if you are really important to the kingdom of God, which everyone is, um, he's going to convince you or do his best to convince you that you're not. Well, so It seems like even in our American culture, like the celebrity culture, yeah. he uses that as like, because when, when you say big names, I'm thinking of all these pastors who have large platforms and speak mm-hmm. all over and like compared to them, I'm yeah. nobody, you know, yeah. like that's, I think Satan uses that celebrity yeah. culture to actually yeah. against us in the church. And I've, I've felt that very same thing before, you know, compared to what they can do. I mean, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could do what they do. Yeah. And that's, that's really a dangerous snare to get trapped in until you hear like the backside story of these people. Sometimes you hear the behind the scenes experiences and you realize that their impression of themselves is extremely unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And I heard a podcast recently where um, this mega church pastor gets into a limousine after he was invited to speak at a conference. And with he and his staff in the car, he says to them, you know what, guys, I am a really big deal. And that, I mean, <laughs> that was just part of the process that led him to a major downfall. Um, and I think if you and I begin to say that about ourselves, we find ourselves in very, very dangerous waters. And there's probably some kind of a moral failure that's, that's headed our way. So the best thing to do is to realize before Jesus um, a humility that makes us see Jesus as great and us as not so great. And that's when I think Jesus can really use us in big ways and make us a big deal. 
Well, and there's two things that you kind of mentioned that I think yeah. is interesting is um, it's not just regular Christian people that are in a church that have the problem of comparison. It's right. pastors too. Mm-hmm. So just as much as the person in the pews comparing themselves to us as we're on stage preaching or, or singing worship music or doing an event or something mm-hmm. like that, it's, it's the comparison that happens with pastors with other pastors. Mm-hmm. So really it, comparison is kind of the enemy, isn't it? I mean, that's what the enemy uses to make us feel that we're less valued. Mm-hmm. So your, your kind of second uh, idea on sure. Sunday was, yeah. it w- it was really good was it was God's word is not just the truth he gives to you, but the value he places in you. And so mm-hmm. any, any suggestions, if you're, if you're someone watching this, like how can you focus on how God values you? Like every day um, and maybe some practical ways of doing that. That's a difficult thing to do. And I think, honestly, I don't know if there's really a set of practices you can do every day. Mm-hmm. There probably is that you can start. However, to understand, it really to know somebody's value that they have in you is, is more of a relational maturity thing. And so yeah. um, I could tell you that I know my wife loves me. I mean, on our wedding day, she said the vows, she said all the right things. And on occasion, now more than that, every day she says, I love you, right? So I know the truth about her love. However, um, it's the relational connectedness mm-hmm. that, that where I feel the value that I have in her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's not something that I can, well, you know, actually there is some everyday things you can do. So if I'm going to remember the value that my wife has uh, for me, then I have to make sure I spend time with her. I have to make sure there's communication between us. So if the relationship's not there, then you're going to quickly lose uh, the feeling and the knowing, uh, the experience of being valued by. by so so like essentially, I mean, if you're not spending any time with God, yeah, you can't know that God values you. Um, yeah, I, I don't believe so. Yeah, it doesn't. It, yeah. That doesn't make any sense, David. You got anything to add to that? I, I have no. I just thoughts. I I think of like the song. The song that comes to mind is. Uh, who you say I am, the bridge is I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Good song. And I think every day is a identity battle. And so if we can, if we can proclaim those truths over our lives, over our hearts by knowing scripture, knowing the truth, I think that's a really practical way of saying like, I am a child of God. He loves me. Um, he chose me like all these things and just constantly reminding ourselves it's not a magic pill but it helps us to be able to... You mean you're not giving us a self-help yeah. like thing? <laughs> yeah. it's, no, it's like basing no, it's, it's, it on what's in scripture. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. Right. So I, I had a couple thoughts when you were saying that. One is um, I did something a few years ago and whenever I'm in a, a funk, when I feel less than valued, I write down things I'm grateful for. But then I've changed that list. It's not things I'm grateful for because things I'm grateful for can get really cheesy. You ever do it with a kid? It's like, thank you for my toys. Thank yeah. you for, you know, you start like getting really, really uh, material. It's material possessions. is, um, But writing a list of gratefulness for what God has done. Mm-hmm. Because it's so easy to forget what God did 10 years ago, but God still did that 10 years ago and he still loves you just as much as he did 10 years ago. Or the things that God has done along the way, those little steps. And I think if you actually create a, a spirit of gratefulness in your heart for God, you start realizing how much he values you mm-hmm. because you're like, wait, God did all that. Yeah. God worked in my life. That's, it couldn't have happened any other way. Mm-hmm. God provided, God did this. So I think, I think in some ways, 
it's not as easy as there's no magic pill to use your word. There's no like one way of doing it, mm-hmm. but time and space with God mm-hmm. is definitely like the primary way of mm-hmm. finding out how we're valued. Yeah. I mean, that's important. Yeah. yeah if, I think the, the longer you walk with him, the more you see the practical ways he shows you his value. Mm-hmm. It, it, this, this came to mind when you probably have heard this this week um, in, in the church world, a giant in the church world, uh, pastor in, was it... Uh, is it Boston? Tim Keller? Yeah, Tim yeah. Keller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He passed away. Oh, no, away. no. Oh, Manhattan. He was from Manhattan. Yeah, that's right. New York. Yep. Um, so he passed away. And and it wasn't a surprise. He had cancer, so they knew it was coming and everything. But I, I was fascinated by the very last thing he said. Um, he said, there's no downside to me leaving this world, nothing in the slightest. And I thought, how can somebody say that? Because, I mean, you're leaving your ministry, you're leaving your family, your grandkids. And I'm, I'm confident that he wasn't, wasn't excited to leave them. However, I, I think by that time in his life, and I think he was 72 or 73 when he mm-hmm. passed away, I began to imagine what compelled him to say that and he probably thought through uh, the plethora of God's blessings that he has seen and experienced in his lifetime. He saw how God gave him a purpose and a mm-hmm. calling and how he had the, the chance to preach the gospel. And so as Paul says in the, in the New Testament, you know, I've run my race with perseverance, the race marked out for me. And now what awaits me is a crown of glory that eventually he'll just throw at the feet of Jesus anyway. But I think that that's mm. um, an expression of seeing a lifetime of God's faithfulness and blessing and when you can see that more and more, you begin to realize just how valuable you are. Mm. God would not do that for somebody he does not value. Mm. Um, and I think over a lifetime of seeing everything that God has done, it makes you not just appreciate the value you have, but it says, you know what, there's no downside to me leaving because yeah. I get to go to be in the presence of God. Mm. And I mean, I know Timothy Keller is somebody that you can agree or disagree with. Mm. Um, but in terms of being a faithful follower of Jesus, he sure certainly was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a little sad. My wife yeah. and I were talking about him because I can think of many people that I knew that were, you know, we, we've talked about this sometimes, being influenced by a pastor. But yeah. on the other hand, like just the fact that he did what no one else would do, go to Manhattan, yeah. start a church in Manhattan and preach the gospel and then have that go out and plant yeah. churches mm. and cities and a lot of things that he did. But I think what was important about what you said, or the most important thing is he he didn't, he wasn't, uh, what he said last was, I'm going to be with Jesus. Like he's excited about that. Like mm-hmm. I've done everything I possibly can. My physical body is failing me and now I'm going to go be with Jesus. I think many of us hold back mm. because we think, oh, I've got this one more kill I got to climb or this one more thing. And sometimes we have to realize like it's in God's will for us to meet him and be with him. And so um, God places a lot of value in us. So... When someone else, this is, this is kind of like an idea that you had in the sermon is when, when they miss God's truth to you, in you, to you, they'll destroy his value in you. So if they miss God's truth, so someone coming up to us misses God's truth as we're speaking to them or living for them, uh, living to show them, um, they'll destroy the value in us. Can you unpack that even more than you did in the sermon? It was super clear. That's why yeah. I even said to you, I was like, I don't have a lot of questions for today out of the sermon because it was just very clear. So, sure. Well, I appreciate that. That's very kind. So the example, in case they missed it, was uh, for those for people who have perhaps made a very um, serious sin in their, pa- in their past, and they've regretted it ever since. Um, and since then, they have embraced God's promise of forgiveness and reconciliation, redemption. However, there's other people perhaps that might not want to see that truth. Mm-hmm. And so they hold that person to their sin. 
And because of that, they see this person now as, as inferior to them. And that's, in a sense, a way to destroy somebody's value. Because if I see, okay, I'm, you're not as righteous as me because I never committed that sin then all of a sudden I'm more valuable than you are in the eyes of God. And you, and then I have authority over you to, in a sense, destroy your, your character. And that's what happens too often. I think maybe in a, maybe in a less serious kind of way, if, if I don't believe that God has called you to serve in leadership, mm-hmm. if I don't believe that, that there's a call in your life to preach, then all of a sudden I'm not gonna value what you have to say as much. But if I begin to see the truth that God has put a purpose on your life to lead in a church setting, to preach the gospel, then all of a sudden your value, I see it more and then I can respond more in kind. So I think it's a matter of, you know, what is the truth that's being attacked? Uh, and if you can identify that, mm-hmm. then you can understand the way that they perhaps is, uh, will, will destroy or attempt to destroy mm-hmm. your value uh, by destroying your character. So I, I, I mean, let me let me take a cul-de-sac here. Sure. I didn't use that term. What did you say? That's out of left field. Okay, this is a little bit out of left field, but <laughs> do you think like I, I think of addictions when you talk about that? Yeah. I think of people that have struggled with addiction. They probably haven't struggled with it for years, but people diminish the value of someone that says I'm an addict, mm-hmm. and yet you know they're probably going to a twelve-step program where they're told to say I'm an addict. Like they're owning their sin and their struggle. And yet we punish them, you might say, with how we treat them or we mm-hmm. diminish their value. So what would you say to, to the church or to a person that is like, well, I want to value this person, but I just can't get it out of my head, like that they struggled with this at some point. I mean, we all struggle with sin, mm. but some people are just, honestly, I think more open about it in a great way in the sense that they're healing from that mm-hmm. and they've moved past that. But how do you, how do you deal with someone that just can't get past those kind of things? That is, that is a really good question. I'm going to look at you first because I'm wondering where that comes from too. Uh, because if you know the truth of what God has done, then how is it that we can continue to, um, you know, hold people's past, hold people's sins over their head? Why, why does that happen? Yeah, I don't, I, I honestly, I'm not sure. I, I think, a lot of it comes down to uh, we tend to um, try to protect our identity or what we think is our identity by attacking somebody else's. That makes sense. And so I think a lot of times in the church, what we can do is say, well, I, I've sinned, but I've not done that. Like we almost have this like hierarchy of sin um, and but that's Jesus, cultural too, because right? Because mm-hmm. I've talked to missionaries. So in Africa, uh, sexual promiscuity is a little bit different than here. Like if you have an affair here, you lose your pastorate. There, it's more common. Yeah. And in certain countries, it, they don't they dismiss it. Right. And so it's this. It's cultural that plays into it. But I think there's like Jesus. Like sin is sin, and yeah. so there's no hierarchy. And so I think a lot of times that can be kind of the driving factor of how we attack the value in other people is by almost saying like, we're better because I haven't done that or I haven't said that or I haven't hung out with these people. Um, and what's the saying? I don't hang out with, I uh, see, I'm going to botch it. Uh, girls, girls that, that drink, chew, drink or smoke. Oh, my, or you, oh you totally did yeah, that. Yeah, what is that, guys? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't do, know. I don't know. The girl, girls that, that <laughs> whatever that, you smoke. Know, you I don't know. know you know what I'm talking about. Just Play cards. Like, that's <laughs> kind of bad. <laughs> Playing cards. <laughs> with faces on Oh, yeah. No, I think it was like, I don't drink or chew or date girls who do. Yeah, I get yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, that's kind of the culture that we've all kind of grown up in in the church is like, we, we cannot associate with that. Right. 
But really, we should be hanging out with those people. Are we having the, Are we having the same conversation we had last week when we talked about shaming? Because I feel like that's yeah, where very could much. Go. Could well, be. And, yeah. And one of the words that came to my mind, and I just I've I've been kind of wrestling through a story of this happening with a leader that I trusted this week of spiritual abuse and how that even plays out in this attacking the value in people. Um, and you mentioned even like how the church can sometimes be the most harmful towards yeah. people. Um, and I was just curious, like how we protect against that. Right. Like it all kind of fits together with the value, with the shaming, with the abuse. Like I have an idea of where this comes from though. And I think it comes from uh, the church historically being taken advantage by perhaps what you might call spiritual wolves. I mean, the Bible talks about mm -hmm. wolves in sheep clothing. Mm -hmm. And so I think out of an attempt to protect the integrity of the gospel, the integrity of our community, we're, we're very much on the lookout. Our radar is up for people who we might perceive to be a threat to that. And so if you see somebody who is... Um, somehow inferior to you because either they have committed a sin. Mm. I mean, why would somebody who loves Jesus do that, mm. you know, ever? Mm. They must not be nearly as spiritual or much, or nearly as faithful as they're mm. presenting themselves yeah. to be. So we put up our defenses mm. and we protect ourselves, we protect our community from what we perceive might be spiritual wolves in sheep clothing. So mm. I think it's almost as if, if we would, in a sense, let, guard, let our guard down and give them the grace that Jesus gives them, then we're opening ourselves up to being attacked again hmm. and getting hurt again. And we don't like to be bullied. Hmm. And so we in turn become the bullies to protect ourselves. Wow. And I think that's, that, that can that be- That was deep right there, Eric. Well, thanks, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's, that's the way, not just the church operates, I think it's the way the culture operates. It's, it's once you've been burned, hmm. um, you don't want that to happen again. And so you, you put in protections in place hmm. to prevent that. Even if it means you, you, you do some kind of a, a verbal or character assassination on somebody. Well, and this is not, this is not the time or place for this discussion, but yeah. you just described what I see as like 90s purity culture. I know what when you're you talking look, about. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, you have the purity ring, you have this. Yeah. And if you don't have the purity ring, right. shame on you. Mm -hmm. Like you get the scarlet mm -hmm. letter yeah. to use, a, to use a, mm -hmm. another metaphor. And so um, I think that we as Christians need to realize that like God does not value sin differently. Mm -hmm. But the consequences of sin are different. Sure. Mm -hmm. And yet those consequences are not what we should be like, oh, Eric, your consequences are worse than mine. So your mm -hmm. worth is, and value is different. Right. Like we can't base someone's value on the consequences they have for sin. Mm -hmm. There's some people that are serving inside of a cell until they meet Jesus right. because of right. their consequences for their sin. Mm -hmm. And so- And I'm, I'm not saying that that's wrong. Um, I'm not saying that we're trying to anyway upend like the judicial system. In fact, even in scripture, there is some instruction on how to deal with people who have become toxic and cancerous within a church. It's you approach them and then you bring some more people to yeah, okay. challenge them. Um, but then if it doesn't happen, he says kind of ask them to leave the church because they become toxic. And I don't think in those cases, they're attacking the person's value in the eyes of God. Yeah. What they're doing is they're preventing toxic behavior, toxic mentality mm. from from corrupting the culture and the atmosphere, the gospel itself yeah, within and, the and, church. And, and grace, uh, grace also is protective. Like yeah. Jesus does not yes. want us to see people continue in an abusive situation or anything right. like that. Mm -hmm. I, 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 it needs to be said because we're talking about it, but the reality is like, that's, that's a mm -hmm. obvious thing that we need to say. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you, you had a few different uh, applications. And the first one I found very interesting because I think we're gonna have different answers to a question I have. Okay. You talked about, 
I need to memorize scripture that speaks to my value. So I'm gonna ask you a simple question. How do you memorize scripture? Lightning round, David. Well, we talked about it last we week. We did. John. I know, we but did. it's still there. If you weren't paying attention, maybe <laughs> yeah. you should go watch. Yeah, he's, got, no, he's got short <laughs> Well, okay, so, so I do remember a second question. I'll add a second question. Have you ever memorized passages? And you talked a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference between memorizing a verse and a passage that you've done? Yeah, so verses, I think, speak very specifically to perhaps what you're going through in a momentary uh, kind of kind of circumstance. And those are super valuable. And I can't tell you how many times, not just me personally, but people I know have said, I just read that verse and that spoke directly to what I'm going through. And after that issue is gone, perhaps they're, they're not, they're not memorizing that verse as much anymore because it spoke directly to a temporary need. Mm. However, when you memorize passages of scripture, you're embedding into your mind themes of scripture that speak to the heart of God. And I think that's the value of it because we can very easily have that perception of God's heart and God's mind be corrupted by the other things that we see. So if we let scriptural truth be overwhelmed by things that are contrary to its nature, then we are at risk of having a misinterpreted perception of God's heart and mind. So passages, lengthier passages, keep his heart and mind um, intact. So in pastor speak, that's called proof texting. When you take a verse yeah. and you say, okay, this is what this verse means and you don't look at the passage. Right. I, think, I think honestly what you said right there is one of the main reasons I think it's important to memorize passages yeah. is because yeah. you're looking at themes. You're looking at, okay, so this, this scripture passage is about God. It's not about me, but it applies to me. So what's the lens I'm seeing right. to view the rest of my life? And yes, David, we did talk about it last week, but he, <laughs> he brought it. He brought the application I, this yeah, week yeah. and I thought- I, Listen, we'll take every just chance make, to pick yeah, on him as we'll we can, on, right? Yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so there was, you had two last applications mm. that I really think are important to discuss because you said when you pick up stones, when they pick up stones, I need to hide in Jesus. And then if I picked up a stone, I need to repent. Yeah. Mm. So I'm going to ask this really broad, open-ended questions. Uh, how have you been hit by stones? What stones do you think people are throwing? Not just at pastors, mm. but at people in Christianity and in the church. Mm. Mm. I, I have several um, <laughs> He's thinking of like I, 10. Or, I'm, I'm wondering which, which wounds. Well, not <laughs> no. necessarily that. It's just wondering which one are appropriate to speak because some of those stones happened right here at Brookside with people who may or may not still be at Brookside. And so I don't want to call. So, call so that here's, out. no, we don't need to call out the, what was, what was thrown. Say, what are some themes of mm. you see people get yeah. stones thrown at them? Cause I, I know for one, mm. the thing I struggle with most is someone walking up and saying, Hey, let me tell you about so-and-so. I said, <laughs> It's none of my business. Mm-hmm. You, you're telling me about a third party? What, what are you talking about? Yeah. They're starting to throw stones. The reason they're talking to someone else is they're th- saying, oh, you'll listen to me and maybe you'll you know, agree with me about this other situation. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't need to agree with you, you know? I think, I think I'm, I'm thinking of even like, um, like in my season of life, parenting. I mean, we're all parents, but I think there's a, there's a lot of stones that can be thrown throughout the church about parenting. Um, just about how you raise your kids versus how somebody else might raise their kids or what they watch, what they don't watch, what they, whether they're homeschooled or they go to school or they go to public school, they go to private school. Like there's a lot of, um, I've seen that there's a lot of stones thrown in that regard of even just like, it's more so just a preference. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that's a theme. Preference is a stone throwing. Um, That's where I've, I guess the themes of a lot of stones that have been thrown at me uh, have been preference-based. 
And really, David? I, I'm I know. just kidding. I'm but even, like even, like like you, even right? when you think about like things that, like if I were to say like I've picked up a stone, like it's probably out of preference for the most part. Yeah. In in distant relationships. So when I tell you I really want to rap church service, you're like, no, right? <laughs> it's my preference. Rapper. If I find you a rapper, okay. No, I'm I'm just kidding with you. I guess <laughs> he's gonna do it. He's the one. Yeah, he's let, the one yeah. Can I piggyback on what yeah, you said about parenting? Because I think that's really a, a key one. Is I've seen there's different circles for different schools right. of thought, and I found that when the moment I open my mouth and share with people something that my kids are going through, they're like, "Oh, you're in this group, or you're in that group." Mm-hmm. Like my kids, um, before we moved here, were in a public school, and now they're in a private school. Well, it's totally different, like, circle of people. Mm-hmm. But I find my kids fit in any circle, right? Yep. Um, to speak just to pastor's kids, we all have pastor's kids. So my daughter is, like, nine, and uh, in her class at church, she's called PK. She likes being called PK. Some PKs do not like that. Eventually, she'll grow up and realize, like, oh, I don't want to be called PK. But right now, it's fascinating to her. She's, like, proud to be one of the pastor's kids. And I think... Once we take away that that um, innocence at that age, and we start building our preferences, we start throwing stones. Mm-hmm. You know, at that age, you throw stones by saying, "Well, I don't want to play with you. I don't want to be around you." Yeah. But when we become, become adults, we get nastier. Mm-hmm. Then it starts going, "Okay, we're going to be passive. I'm going to avoid conflict. So I'm just going to talk to everyone else, except for the person I need to talk to, or or this or that." Or we throw stones based on everything that you discussed earlier. Like your sin is worse than mine. So who are you to speak into my life? Mm-hmm. You know, someone comes to you with something you're you're struggling with, or you need to work on, and you're like, "No, you're this way." Yeah. So I I, I find that the the kind of the venue that I tend to throw stones at the most are other churches, mm-hmm. and it's easy for me to spot things in other churches that uh, are I can be critical of. Yeah. And say, man, why would that church do that? I mean, that church is dumb. Mm-hmm. I mean, their leadership must be incompetent, you know. And so I feel like, but they are. Least, Wait, no, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> Every church other than Brookside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I figured so. They're but doing the same. Thing. I hope people They're understand exactly, sarcasm. Sure they are. Yeah. So I think I have to be careful of. I have to imagine, like, if I'm in a conversation and we're talking about some other church, whatever it is, I have to imagine that there's somebody from that church, or perhaps even the lead pastor from that church, sitting behind me, hearing every word that I'm saying. Would I say the same? things about their church if I was talking to them. Mm-hmm. And so um, I can very easily throw stuff because what that does is it makes me feel like everything is better at Brookside mm-hmm. and I get to hide the brokenness or the mistakes or the failures that we've experienced mm-hmm. at Brookside by exposing the failures and brokenness of some other church. And so I can easily throw stones at other churches and, and I have probably... I probably burnt some bridges because of that, mm. that I didn't realize. So you're saying if we don't hide in Jesus, we'll hide in a different place by picking up stones and throwing them. So I, they kind yeah. of are. I, I, well, I, 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 so so I, I think I'm going to be a little vulnerable. So I'm going to tell you something that I, I did for years and I never even noticed it until, I don't know, a few years ago, is if there was something that I just couldn't, I, maybe I knew it about myself, but I couldn't receive it yet. You know, like it's something I couldn't receive. If someone told me something and I'm like, ah, yeah, I know that about myself, but I just can't take it. It hurts too much. Um, That would put me on the defensive. And I think people throwing stones are actually on the defensive. They're not on the offensive. It comes across that way, but they're on the defensive. So what's behind the stone being thrown? Hmm. I think it's their insecurity. Well, I just was going to say that. I beat him to insecurity. Yes. I was going to say, so, so 
usually you throw stones when you're like feeling that that you're not worthy or you're not mm. of value. And so that's, I mean, that your whole sermon mm. was talking about that. So I think a lot of us throw stones when we're really struggling. And people that don't throw stones are actually more secure and confident mm-hmm. in Christ, obviously, <laughs> but then they're getting stones thrown at them. Yeah. And so Satan uses this cycle mm-hmm. of insecurity and we're not secure in Christ to say, okay, I'm going to throw a stone at that guy or I'm going to throw a stone at this guy. And so um, I see that I see that with my wife. My wife's great at pointing out my failures, okay? I just remember- All the love, right? Is yes, that a compliment love. or are you- Yeah, he sounds that was like a compliment. you just threw a stone yeah. right there. <laughs> no, that was a compliment because uh, I remember it was about probably nine years ago, okay? I did something really foolish. I bought meat from a guy, back of a guy's truck. Okay, that sounds crazy, right? Okay. A little shady. little shady, right? He had a freezer in the back of his truck. Mm, That's wow. even shadier, that, yeah. right? Showed me all these cool pictures, but I was like, yeah, this meat looks good. Then I opened the back and realized that like the meat on the top was really good, but the rest of the meat was not choice meat. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So on this big frozen box. Swindled you. Yeah, swindled you me. And so then I call a phone number and it was a whole thing, right? I got my money back anyways, but- my wife what saw does that have to do with just wait, I, I'm just waiting, wait. I'm waiting, I'm yeah. waiting. I was so flustered at my mistake yeah. that my wife just sat there and said, "It's okay. You know you messed up. I'm not going to say anything because yeah, she, she was ticked good. too." <laughs> but <laughs> but what my point is is sometimes instead of throwing stones when someone's struggling, we need to receive the stones and just kind of put them on the ground. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like if I was going to throw stones, I'm like, "Oh, it's your fault. You didn't tell me to not do this." Yeah. Okay. Well, hold up. I'm going to put the stone down. I'm just going to like sit. I'm not going to throw any stones at you. Let's just talk. And I think we don't do a lot of that as Christians. We receive the stone and then we get defensive because yeah. we've got our own insecurities and stones to throw back. Mm-hmm. And then we end up in this giant David and Goliath, but it's really David and David kind of thing sure, going on. Sure. Hopefully, hopefully we're all Davids. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that's, that's something actually that scripture invites us to do. Mm-hmm. Not in that same language, but they say, cast all your cares upon Jesus for he cares, to you, for, cares for you, right? Yeah. yeah. And so the idea is, I mean, when people throw stones at you, it creates concern and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, what I want you to do is not throw stones back. And I want you to brute force then anything on them. What I want you to do is just take that stone and give it to me. And then I'll rebuild your confidence. I'll remind you of your security in me. Mm-hmm. I'll remind you of your value in me. And mm-hmm. I think what you said is really good about how we tend to throw stones out of our own insecurity. And I think I've noticed this. If somebody doesn't have any authority, they like to attack other people's authority they do have. If somebody's not confident in their own competence, they attack somebody else's competence. Mm. And I think we have to be careful when we do that ourselves, because if we're throwing stones, then it's probably coming out of an insecurity of what we have. So if I'm attacking other churches, or other leaders, then there's probably an insecurity that I'm not confident in my own leadership. So I've got to attack yours. Mm-hmm. And and it takes the focus off of us. Yeah. I think of almost a spotlight. Sure. When okay. the spotlight's on us, do yeah. we flip the spotlight on someone else because we're like, Ugh. Mm-hmm. so this is a gigantic pivot. Okay. So uh, Sunday's sermon was very clear. And that's why I was like, uh, so what are we going to talk about? Okay. But I really want to talk about our new series that's coming up. Just a little yeah. snippet of that. Mm-hmm. We're going to be in Nehemiah, which you said Sunday, you were talking about how some, some people, this is their favorite Old Testament book. It's mine. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Um, maybe, maybe give us an idea, a picture of like what the whole series is like. I mean, I don't want to preach your sermon for you, but chapter one, I love chapter one. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Chapter one. And then chapter two, it's like, oh, you can't beat chapter one, but you do beat chapter one with chapter two. So yeah. 
Uh, so uh, apparently, officially, we are done with any conversation about worthless, and we have moved on. So, whoa, whoa, whoa! I just, uh, I just put a I just, bow on it and be talk, done with it. Talk about left field, yeah, goodness! <laughs> that's right. So, uh, and that's a, it's a great pivot. So, I love to set people up for this. So, Nehemiah is my favorite Old Testament book to read because uh, not just because of the position of leadership that we have, but because it speaks to the community of the church mm-hmm. that has so much potential in it. I doubt most church communities or communities of believers uh, have experienced their full potential. And I think Nehemiah yeah. is a picture of what can happen when everybody in the, in the body mm-hmm. um, um, stands in their purpose and does what God has called them to do. And so the, the theme verse is, is Nehemiah chapter two, verse 18. Um, and word for word, I'm trying to remember what it says. You've got it right. Well, there. my version is different than yours. Go ahead. It say says, it. Um, let me tip it up so I can actually read it. And I told them of the land, the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, this is the theme part, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Yeah. I think my version says, yes, let's start, yeah. let's go. And so they strengthened their hands yep. and began the yep. good work. Yep. And I love that theme because it's the people didn't just get the vision. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of churches that, and I would say hopefully Brookside mm-hmm. is doing better and better at communicating vision. Yeah. And if you're a strong leader, you can motivate people really well, right? And I think the people, if they're motivated, can see the vision. They can even see the fruit of it and celebrate mm-hmm. it. It's a whole different conversation to see everybody uh, say, let's do this. And they, they started the good work. Yep. They started the good work. Mm-hmm. And I, what I love is, is Nehemiah is all about an entire group of people mm. doing whatever their part is to satisfy the vision of the community. So, so although it's called Nehemiah, it's actually not about Nehemiah. Yeah, I think this is far less about Nehemiah and far more about the people who you will never know the names of. The people who had a spear in one hand yep. and a shovel in another hand, yep. or you know, however they did that. Yep. Um, so really it's a book for the whole church. I mean, has to be. Has so to be. so when we speak about this in this next yeah. series, I think it's important um, for everyone watching to understand yeah. that it's not it's not just about the people up front. It's not about Pastor Eric mm-hmm. preaching. Right. It's really about every single one of us leading mm-hmm. in yeah. some way. I mean, we all have a responsibility. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. that's a, a something so much foreign. We have a responsibility yeah. in our relationship right. with Jesus yeah. Christ. And so any, any yeah. anything to add to well, that? Well, I, I was working, just thinking like, like I mean, they they weren't just doing grunt work. Right. Like they actually they were they were the embodiment of the vision. And so I think a lot of times in the church, especially, we can feel like, well, he does the important job because he preaches, and then we're just like the busy bees, like the worker bees. But no, it's like we're all supposed to carry out the vision of the gospel uh, everywhere Absolutely. we go. Yeah. And what I love about Nehemiah is it's not just motivating a group of people to satisfy a vision. Mm-hmm. Anybody can do that in isolation and without any threat. But a huge theme in Nehemiah are the various different angles of threat and danger that come at them. I'm not just talking about from, from their enemies who are opposing the work. I'm talking about from their very own people. Yeah. I'm talking about the people who are being excluded from their own brothers who are being charged crazy interest rates for land and so forth. And so the challenge is how do you and I, as the followers of Jesus, focus on accomplishing the vision while at the same time protecting Mm. the domains we've been given authority over? So as much as I'm trying to reach my neighbors, how do I protect my home? Mm. As much as I'm trying to preach the gospel, how do I protect my church? Mm. And it's it's almost like a two-sided battle. You have to be on the offense to move the vision forward, but you also have to be on the defense. Mm. And that's a hard thing for most of us to do. So 
pause. I feel like you just opened up a can of worms. Okay. Because right there, what you just described, how can we find that balance? I mean, I, I'm listening to you and I'm almost becoming a little overwhelmed. Like, okay, I'm on the offense, but I'm on the defense. And I'm, I got the sword in one hand and the trowel in the other. I'm building my home yeah. while I'm on right. basically being attacked. Right. What is... I, most, most of us don't do uh, two of them together. Mm. We focus on one at the expense of the other. Yeah. And so if things in life seem to be going well, our marriage is in good order, our kids are, are fine, our career and finances are good in shape, then we say, you know what? I've got some time now and energy and mental... Um, mental um, space mm -hmm. to focus on what God's calling me to do. But you know what? My marriage isn't so hot right now. Um, and I really need to focus on defending that. And so I'm not saying that they should take attention away mm -hmm. from a broken marriage. What I'm saying is this, there's a way that we can defend against the attacks of our enemies, mm -hmm. including very people in our church. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, be a part of, of this work that mm -hmm. God is doing. And that's why this is an entire summer series because it's gonna take all summer for us to really digest yeah. this. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to the conversations. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. For those of you that have not read um, anything from the book of Nehemiah, do you mind if I read one of the verses and kind of yeah, close absolutely. us with that? Yeah, I, think, yeah. I think it's so important. Um, when Nehemiah hears about Jerusalem and the walls being broken yep. down and the gates are destroyed by fire, he, this is what happens very very uh, immediately after he says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the Lord, the God of heaven. And I just sit here and I think, mm. wow, when we hear that God's kingdom is being attacked and th the walls are being burned down and there's things that are being destroyed, do we immediately think, okay, I'm gonna mourn, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna fast and I'm gonna seek the Lord. And so I think that's something really exciting about the series is that we can all do that individually, corporately as a church um, and move forward with the mission, both on the defense and the yeah. offense yeah. all together. Yeah. So thank you for joining us uh, at Church Unscripted this week. We're really excited you're here with us. Please subscribe if you consider Brookside home. We're looking forward to this next series starting this next week. And also hit the notification bell so you can see us each week. Um, leave comments below. We'd love to hear from you and talk to you after this.